Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Luke with you once again. And remember, last week we finished up our discussion of the prison letters or the prison epistles, as we call them. So remember, that includes Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. So we talked about those last week. This week, I want to get into a discussion of 1 Timothy. All right, 1 Timothy. But first, I want to set a little context, as we always do. So let's let's think about Paul's third missionary journey. Okay, let's back up here a little bit. Paul's third missionary journey. Remember, on this journey, he goes to Ephesus, and he spends quite a bit of time there, pretty long stay in in Paul's terms, and he trains up and he sends out all these disciples into the surrounding regions to the point where the book of Acts says that the whole province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So Paul had this very successful ministry going on. We know he also went through some dark times, in Ephesus. But while he was there in Ephesus, he wrote 1 Corinthians. Then he goes on and he he travels around the area, basically what we would call modern day Greece. Okay. And as he's doing that, he's collecting an offering for the church back in Jerusalem. Remember the Jerusalem church, they were going through famine, they were going through poverty and, and some difficult times. So he's collecting this offering for the Jerusalem church. And then he spends the winter near Corinth, and it's there where he writes Romans. Remember, he's kind of preparing to expand his missions to the West. He wants a new base of missions rather than just using Antioch as his base, which was back in the East. He wants a new base. So he has his eyes set on Rome, and he writes the book of Romans to kind of prepare the way for him to go to Rome. Well, then after the winter time passes, he goes back to Jerusalem to deliver this offering that he's collected. But as he's doing that, he gets arrested. He gets arrested and he appeals to Rome as a Roman citizen. And so he's sent to Rome. So he does make it to his target destination. He goes to Rome, but he goes as a prisoner instead of just for ministry. So Paul's under house arrest for a couple of years. And while he's under house arrest, he writes these prison letters that we just talked about, Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon, Colossians. And and that's basically where we left off. Now, it appears at this point that Paul is released from prison for some amount of time. We're not sure how long. But what may have happened is that the people who made charges against Paul back in Jerusalem, they may have never showed up for trial in Rome, and so eventually the charges may have been dropped, and then Paul was released for a time. Okay, so Paul is released, and it seems like Paul is able for a time to continue his ministry. So we think that Paul probably visits Titus, who is doing ministry on the island of Crete. We'll talk more about that next week. But Paul also visits Timothy, who is now helping the church in Ephesus. So Paul is released from prison at some point, and it seems that he's maybe able to visit Titus and Timothy to check on them. 
And then it seems that at some point Paul leaves Timothy and he heads for Macedonia. And from there, he writes Timothy a letter, what we know today as 1 Timothy. Now, how do we know that? Well, 1 Timothy 1.3 says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different or, or strange doctrines. So this letter, 1 Timothy, is addressed to an individual. Okay, it's addressed to Timothy. It's not addressed to an entire church like many of Paul's letters. And as far as a time frame goes, so if this is written after Paul is released from prison, obviously before he is martyred, this would be sometime around the, the mid-60s AD. Now, just a little bit of background on Timothy. Paul met Timothy, if you remember, early on his second missionary journey. Okay, And he met Timothy in Derby, the city of Derby, which was in Galatia. And you can read about this in Acts 16. Timothy was was most likely a pretty young man at the time when when Paul met him. It might have been in his early 20s, maybe even a little bit younger. But it seems that he was a believer, and so was his mother. And he was well spoken of by the believers in that region. So Paul takes Timothy with him. Timothy goes with Paul and Silas on their missionary journey. And Timothy becomes a close companion and a very important co-worker of Paul. Now, just just a quick aside here, kind of a, a quick tangent. Understand, this is really what discipleship is. I, I think sometimes we wonder, what does it mean to, to make disciples? And, and we can oftentimes be tempted, especially in our culture, to think that discipleship means a program, you know, signing up for a program or signing up for some classes, going through these different materials. But Paul shows us what discipleship really means. If you notice, Paul always had at least a few other guys around him. Not just because he needed help in his ministry, but because he was always investing in others and and training and equipping others to send them out so that they could do the work that he was doing. He was always looking to pass the baton. And, And he wasn't just asking people to show up to a meeting He was taking them along with him as he was doing ministry. So I want to challenge us with this. I want us to think about our lives. Let's not think about just adding more to our schedule when it comes to investing in others, when it comes to discipleship. But who is somebody in your life who maybe is not quite as far along in their spiritual journey or maybe even somebody who's not currently saved? Who is somebody that you can invite into your life? Again, I'm not talking about adding something new, not talking about adding more meetings. Who is somebody you can invite invite into the things that you already do? Maybe you invite them over for dinner, invite them to work out with you, maybe become workout partners, maybe whatever hobby you have, maybe you can invite them to, to go along with you. How can you invite somebody into the everyday rhythms of your life? Because that's what discipleship is all about. It's all about life on life, investing in other people as we walk through everyday life and everyday trials and struggles. So I challenge you to always have people around you that you are pouring into. Let's always be passing the baton of faith, just like Paul was always doing. But now getting back to 1 Timothy, the books of 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus are what we call the pastoral epistles 
or the pastoral letters, or at least they're often referred to by that name. But I think it's important to say that Timothy wasn't a pastor per se. So I want to go over some of the terminology when it comes to church leadership in Scripture, because I think this can be confusing especially given the the church environment today with all the different denominations and terminologies that are used today. How does scripture use terminology to talk about leadership within the church? Well, the New Testament doesn't give us detailed specifics regarding what church government should look like exactly, but it does establish a pretty clear pattern of churches being led by elders, okay, by elders. And it's always more than one elder in the New Testament. We never see a case where it's just one person. We always see a plural of of elders in the New Testament. Now, elders are also called overseers, bishops, and pastors in the New Testament, and those terms are used interchangeably, okay? Those aren't different positions. They're all the same. Elders, pastors, overseers, bishops. And it might actually surprise you to know that the term pastor is, is actually the least common word used to refer to this position, to this office. It's actually used only once as a title for this position, and that's in Ephesians 4.11. Now, this term is used as a verb sometimes. So, for example, it might say that the elders are to shepherd the flock. That term shepherd is where the term pastor comes from. But this term is only used as an actual name for the position just one time. So elders or pastors or overseers, whatever you want to call them, they are to shepherd the flock, to take care of God's people, to teach and and to give instruction and to lead. So that's elders. But then scripture also talks about deacons. So for example, in 1 Timothy 3, you're going to see that Paul gives qualifications for not just elders, but also for deacons. So what are deacons? Well, the term means servant, but we're never given an exact job description of what they do, but it is clear that deacons are separate from the elders. And it seems based on scripture that the deacons may have dealt with more of the administrative duties and helped minister to the physical needs of the poor. So a possible example of this comes in Acts chapter 6, where the apostles choose seven men to help them distribute bread so that the apostles can focus on ministry of the word and preaching. Now, the word deacon is not used here, but it's possible that the term hadn't been officially designated for that position yet. Yeah, that might be why we don't see the word deacon used. But given Acts chapter 6, and given that the word deacon means servant, it seems most likely that the deacons were to handle more of the practical issues and to help those in need. Okay, so you've got your elders who are responsible for spiritual oversight and overall leadership of the church. And then the deacons handle more of the practical. I hate to use the word practical because what's more practical than spiritual matters? But I guess you could say more of the administrative duties. So as an example, here at at Bedford Alliance, we have an elder board and the elders oversee the spiritual protection and the spiritual leadership of the church. And then we also have a governing board, and they handle more of the the finances of the church and legal protection and some of our building issues and all of those more administrative 
topics. So we don't use the term deacon, but it's really the same idea as what we see in scripture. So we have elders, we have deacons, and then we also see the term apostle used in scripture. So for example, the apostle Paul, what does that mean? Well, understand that apostles were men with unique authority in the early church. Now there were two qualifications to be an apostle and they were pretty steep qualifications, let me tell you. So the first one is that these men witnessed Jesus after his resurrection. So they, they actually physically saw the risen Jesus. And they were specifically commissioned by Jesus to be an apostle. Now, how do we know this? Well, after Judas died, remember Judas was one of the 12, but then he betrayed Jesus. Then he died and they had to choose another person to, to replace him. They had to choose another apostle. And the apostles, the disciples said that the replacement must be a witness to the resurrection, to Jesus's resurrection. We see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 22. Now, Acts also talks about how Jesus appeared to the apostles whom he had chosen after his resurrection. Okay, so the apostles were men who witnessed the risen Jesus and were commissioned to be apostles. And this included the initial group of, of 12 disciples minus Judas. And then Judas was replaced by Matthias. And this also included Paul. Remember, Paul wasn't one of the original 12, but Jesus did appear to Paul on the road to Damascus. So he met the, the requirements. We know it includes Barnabas. Barnabas is called an apostle in Acts 14, 14. James, the brother of Jesus, is also called an apostle. Remember, Jesus appeared to James as well. And there may have been a few others, but this was a pretty limited list. Okay, And, and these men had special authority to really speak and, and write the very words of God. If you notice, the New Testament authors were either apostles themselves, like Matthew, Paul, Peter, John, James, or they were close companions of apostles. So, for example, Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, was a close companion of Peter. Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, he was a close companion of Paul. So, it's important for us to understand that the position of apostle was something that was unique and limited to a specific time, to the first century, to the early church, to that initial generation after the resurrection of Christ. Okay, God used these men in, in a special way to not only help start his church, but also to write the New Testament. And there's no indication that this office continued after, after this initial generation, after this time. Now, some people have used the term apostle in a more generic sense throughout the year. So the term itself means messenger. So some people have used this term generically to apply to missionaries or, or great evangelists or church planners. But the New Testament primarily uses this term in a very specific way to refer to a special office. Again, men who saw Jesus and were commissioned by him. Okay, so we don't have any more official apostles today, and we shouldn't expect any more. There's no one today who can add to or edit scripture. Those things were done and set in the past by specific men at an appointed time set by God. Now, bringing this back to 1 Timothy, we call it a pastoral epistle because it does deal with issues regarding shepherding God's people. But Timothy, as I said, wasn't officially an elder 
of the church in Ephesus. He was really more of a delegate sent by the Apostle Paul to help address issues in the church. And what I'm saying here also applies to Titus. We'll talk more about that next week. But think of Timothy and Titus almost like apostles' assistants. Okay, they weren't apostles themselves, but they also weren't officially pastors or elders of the places where they were helping. They were they were kind of assistants sent by the Apostle Paul. So Timothy and Titus were commissioned by Paul to help prepare the church for this transition from the apostolic era to the post-apostolic era. Now, what does that mean? It just simply means that initially the church was formed under the leadership of the apostles, including Paul and Peter and James. But now we're transitioning to a time when churches are going to be led exclusively by these local elders or overseers. Okay, And Timothy and Titus have been commissioned to help with this transition process. And, and with that, in this letter in 1 Timothy, you're going to see that Paul walks Timothy through appointing elders and what qualifications to look for. So again, Timothy was not exactly a pastor, but of course a lot can be learned about pastoral ministry from this letter and from Timothy's ministry. Now just a little bit more about this letter here as we kind of wrap up. Remember, Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to address issues that were arising in the church. And it seems the primary concern were false teachers who were starting to show up in the church. Now, we don't know the exact nature of what this false teaching was, but we see Paul challenges Timothy to address it, to confront it. And he also, Paul also tells Timothy what life should look like in light of the true gospel. So just a quick outline of the first few chapters that you're going to read this week. Chapter 1, Paul talks about confronting false teachers in God's household. Chapter 2 is really worshiping together in God's household. What should that look like? What what is appropriate behavior behavior and order and conduct in corporate worship? And then chapter 3, Paul talks about identifying elders or overseers and deacons in God's household. Now, you'll notice with that, with identifying these leaders in the church, elders and deacons have many of the same qualifications, but deacons are never given ruling authority over the church, nor are they ever required to teach scripture. So again, we see this distinction between these offices. The elders deal with more of the the spiritual side of things and teaching and leading and the deacons deal with more of the administrative side of things. Now, real quick, just an overall recap here. Remember, 1 Timothy is likely written after Paul is released from prison in Rome. This would be sometime in the mid-60s AD. He's writing to Timothy, his close companion, somebody that he calls a dear son. And remember, he left Timothy in Ephesus to address different issues within the church. He writes to address false teaching and also practical issues as well, like what corporate worship should look like and how to appoint elders and deacons and so forth. But that's all for now. We're going to talk more about 1 Timothy and Titus next week. So make sure you tune in for that. Remember, we want to help you get into the word until it gets into you. And we want to equip you so that you can go out and you can be a world changer. Music